Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about sales for nine non-sales people, part two, with the help of special guest, Jeff Borowitz of Sandler Training in San Francisco, California. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hi, everyone. Tim Fowler here, and welcome to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. As I always do, I'm encouraging you to send in ideas for the podcast, questions, comments, things that I can work on and uh, get a guest on and uh, maybe answer something that's been bothering you for a long, long time. Somebody out there has the answer. It's my job to find them. Uh, send the ideas to Tim at RemodelersAdvantage.com. So this is segment two of sales for non-sales people. But in case you missed the first one, we're going to go through the intro and uh, introduce our guest again. So at a lot of conferences, uh, generally I'm speaking to production people. So I will ask if there's any salespeople in the room. And there's always, you know, four or five, six that will raise their hand. So there's always a few in there. And then I'm going to ask everybody, raise your right hand and repeat after me. I am a salesperson. So it's always fun to see who raises their hand, who jumps in. There's a lot of different reasons why people are hesitant. You know, sometimes a production, particularly production person, particularly is going to go like, I'm not a salesperson. They're tricky, crafty, sneaky kinds of people. Or, you know what? I wonder what he's getting to. Is he trying to trick me into saying something that I don't really want to say? And so they won't uh, bring it up. So, um, in the first podcast, in case you missed it, we went through a lot of different basic things about why this is so important, why production people particularly should be thinking about a sales mentality. No, you're not asking for the sale, but you are selling as you go through. And in this segment, we've brought our guest back and we're just going to ask him some scenarios like, what about when this happens? And we're going to see if he can guide us to some good information about how to deal with those things. Now, those of you who've listened to the podcast for a while know that I'm not a beginner to the production part of this world, and I'm bringing up some real examples. And so hopefully our guest is going to be able to give us some insight into how to handle those as we move forward. So Steve, let's get going on segment two. Let's do it. So Jeff Borovitz is known for triple digit revenue and profit increases with over 25 years of experience as an award-winning quota busting salesperson, sales manager, general manager, and small business owner. Jeff has been on over 5,000 face-to-face sales calls and has dialed the phone over 150,000 times to schedule appointments, follow up, and close sales. He has trained thousands of salespeople as a sales trainer for three of the largest sales training companies in the world. Jeff has advised, trained, and coached small and medium-sized companies, as well as large enterprise companies on developing stronger sales teams, closing more sales, and leading organizational change. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Steve. Glad to be back. I'm looking forward to today. 
All right. So just in case somebody missed the first episode, Jeff, give us just a little bit about what you do, what your, what's your job, who do you work for, or however you want to phrase it for us. Sure. Uh, first of all, I want to say that sales is a learned skill. It is not something you're born with. I know that because I've, I've, I've perused and looked through thousands of birth announcements and I've, I've seen boys <laughs> born, girls born, but I've never seen it say that there was an eight pound, six ounce salesperson born. Uh, <laughs> and so I don't care who you are. And I know, I know introverts, extroverts, everybody from every part of the D of uh, the disc uh, scale, D's, I's, S's, and C's who are successful salespeople. Cause sales is really about a communication process about how we effectively communicate with other human beings. At Sandler, what we do is we work with people to help them be better communicators because everybody's selling something. I think Steve, at the end of the last episode, talked about how he uses uh, Sandler in parenting. I do too, Steve. And Mo, it's funny, my, um, we talked about uh, Palo last time uh, and my, my, my wife, my son's 18. He's getting ready to leave for college. Matter of fact, uh, he's going to be leaving pretty, pretty quickly here. And, and my wife and I are both trying to spend different time, times with him one-on-one. And so a few weeks ago, my wife said to him, hey, Jack, do you want to go get some yogurt, uh, frozen yogurt? And I was in the backyard working on something in the backyard, and I didn't really pay attention how long they were gone. And Jack looked at her, and he said, are we, are we just going to get yogurt? And she goes, yes. He goes, are we eating there? She goes, yes. And he goes, <laughs> and there's not going to be any other stops along the way, right? He said, no, no other stops along the way. And Jack said, so we're going to go, we're going to have yogurt, and then we're coming back here, right? And Jack was effectively doing a palo, just for, you know, a little bit differently. And I didn't really pay attention how long they were gone. But a little while later, I was in the house washing my hands at the sink, and Jack comes storming, and he is red-faced angry. I said, dude, what's going on? He goes, mom broke her, pal- her, her, mom broke her palo. I said, what do you mean? He goes, dad, we went and got yogurt. On the way back, she stopped at the nursery, and we spent – 42 minutes at the nursery. Now the art here was he knew down to the minute how long they were at the nursery, <laughs> right? But he was really angry. My wife for the for the everything in her, she couldn't figure out why he was so upset. Right. And I told her you broke your palo and she goes, "What's a palo?" Uh, uh, because my son has taken Sandler. I got. But it. my wife has it. And so she couldn't and now once she understood that she had broken that upfront agreement and now she understood why he was so upset. All right. So if anybody missed this Palo discussion, just go back and listen to the episode before this and pick it up because it's a fantastic uh, discussion of that. So we promised the listeners, Jeff, that we would throw some scenarios at you and get you to help us think through how might we handle this potentially difficult conflict situation particularly with a client. So the first one is one of my favorite topics. It's about change orders. And so the client has asked for something and we want to know like, what's the best scenario? And I'm going to throw a little caveat in there. And that is that after everybody's done the calculating and things like that, or maybe it hasn't been calculated yet. I, as the project manager, just think like they're not going to want to pay this much money. In other words, I've already decided that this is too big a price for this little 
change order. And I'm already feeling uncomfortable about even talking to them about how much money it's going to cost. What, give, give us some rundown on how we might be able to handle that as a non-sales person. Well, that's a lot right there. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to break it into two parts, if that's okay, Steve. Uh, Tim. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to address the client asks for a change order and how we handle that conversation first. And then we can talk about the money part. Is that fair? Fair enough. Go for it. All right. So when the client asks for something, the first thing we want to do is ask them some questions. And, and this is, in Sandler, we call this a reverse. When you answer a question or you answer a statement with a question, um, it's called a reverse and it's not hard. It, uh, Steve, how old are your kids? Uh, eight and five. Oh, they're experts at reversing you, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the best reversers are kids between ages of five and 12 at bedtime. <laughs> There's nobody better at it, right? There's, they always have a question. They always need something else, right? And, and, and really, we have to have, one of the things I say is that you want to be good at asking questions, is you have to have natural curiosity. And, and kids have lots of natural curiosity. And, and the other thing is you have to think about questions as being a sign of intelligence. Um, people that are inquisitive are generally more, generally intelligent. And so when a homeowner asks you for something, a change, or let's say the homeowner is asking uh, your work, uh, I don't know, you're working in a kitchen and all of a sudden they want to they wanna add a trash compactor. Right. That's a change okay. order. You know, the first thing is you want to do is you want to ask him why. Right. We want to start with a question and we're not just going to say why we're going to say, <laughs> oh, wow, that's we're going to do what we call a softening statement, something that makes them feel good before we ask them the question. Right. Wow. That that sounds really important to you. Softening statement. OK. And then can you tell me why you're why you're now interested in a trash compactor? Right. And, and, and understand the, the truth of the matter is they asked for it for a reason. We want to understand the why behind that. And sometimes, you know, the, um, anybody, anybody here drive a Toyota? I have one. Okay. So yeah. you ever been in a Toyota uh, factory? No. <laughs> so Toyota has all over their factory. They have something called five whys. Oh, yeah. And this is good for production too, by the way. Yes, Definitely. <laughs> And, 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 and they say, anytime there's a problem, you generally have to ask why five times to get to the root cause of the problem. Right. And, and so we, I'm not saying we always have to ask five whys to a client about why they want to change order, but we need to ask at least a couple because we want to understand why they're asking and what the true intent behind the question is, is are they asking to find out how much it would cost to do this? Or are they asking because they've decided that they have to have this and they can't live without this, with it, without it in the new kitchen? So here's the answer that a lot of production people, I'm thinking, I'm just sitting here kind of thinking about how it might go with me. Client says, you know, I think we'd like to have a crash compactor. I might say, you don't want one of those, <laughs> you know? I mean, we put one in a house two years ago and they had us back last week taking it out because it broke down and it was terrible. <laughs> I guess you that's know what, not what- It's funny. It's funny how that happens. When we were doing when we were doing our master bathroom at the house, we my wife we put a tile floor in, and my wife wanted the the heating element under the tile yep. floor. 
because she doesn't want to step on the cold tile, although it doesn't get that cold in, in the Bay Area con- compared to other parts of the nation. But my wife yeah. thinks 62 degrees is cold. And, and and so she doesn't want to step on the cold tile. And I remember the uh, the production guy said, oh, you don't want one of those. Every time we put one of those in, it breaks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I found out that that's not true. Right. They don't always break. It's just that he didn't want to go through the hassle of doing the change order. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just thank you for sharing that, because I just picture this conversation going on. I don't want to be bothered yeah. with changing something. So get that out of your head and do what Jeff is saying. Ask a lot of questions. Fantastic. All right. So what else, Jeff? So after we ask questions and we understand why they want it, right? Now, and, and you know, in another session, Tim, we'll have to come back and talk about pain, <laughs> yeah, and probably. pain questions because it le- this kind of leads down that road, but we're not going to go there today because it would take up the whole session. And I don't want to hijack the session that way. Um, but you know, now let's say we've had that conversation. We've decided to change order. The change order came back and you look at you as a production guy, look at that change order and go, whoa, there's no way I would spend that much money if I were them. And there's no way they're going to spend that much money. Right, right. right. So the first thing I want to say is that's called in Sandler. We have two words that describe that. It's called head trash. Oh, yeah. Okay. And and it's, it's when our belief system gets in the way of doing our job. And that's head trash. There's no basis for it. It's just allowing our values to impact it. Let me just say this. I, we, you know, some of, some of our, some of our contractors out there in RA, a lot of them work with some really high end houses. Yeah. Um, And it can, and I, I've always thought of it this way. Everybody, everybody's kind of broke. They're just broke at different levels. And so when you look at a number, uh, $5,000 change order number, and you say, oh my gosh, that's so much money to somebody else, it's not a big deal, right? And it's one of the reasons I tell, I tell um, contracting, the remodeling owners, they should share the total value of the job with the production team. Because if the job's $350,000, it's a $5,000 change order, it's nothing, <laughs> right? It, you're, you're talking about a couple percent. Right. Uh, of the job. And, and, and I think that when you share that with the production guys, it helps them understand what is a lot of money, what isn't a lot of money to that client. And so we have to remove our own head trash. We almost have to, you know, uh, make sure that we're not working for waste management, right? And realize that and, and not let the head trash rent space up here and just gonna, focus on what we have to do. I'm going to share with you. I used to think about it in terms of wow, they're spending four times as much money as I make in a whole year. And, and that had the opposite impact on me, Jeff. I wouldn't go like, you know, $5,000 shouldn't matter. It's like, how could anybody spend more, you know? And so that was my head trash for a long time until I started realizing you know, how much our company really made and how much that we didn't really make, you know, mm-hmm. and that helped me kind of understand knowing the financials helped me understand a little bit more about what it really cost to do yeah, that. The, the, being, when owners are transparent with the financials, I think it helps everybody with that head trash. It helps everybody understand. Yeah, it's a $400,000 job, but we're not making $400,000. Right. Right. <laughs> By the time we have materials and and, and overhead and, and salaries and bonuses and everything else, we're just making a few percentage points. 
Okay, so let's jump to the next example. We kind of introduced this in the episode prior to this, but this is the idea about the schedule. So we're, we're working to a schedule. We made the schedule. We've even shared the schedule with the client. They are fully aware of what we thought was going to happen. And it turns out, I know this has never happened to anybody, but the client is planning a big party at the end, not to celebrate the job. It was a, it's a family party where people are coming from out of town. Airline reservations have been made. Hotels have been booked. And guess what? We have to be out of there. And everybody's feeling light and everybody knows that we're about a week behind. How do we deal with that? Well, I think, as I said last time, we have to have a really good, strong uh, payload with them about uh, for them to set up that discussion. Here's what we're here to talk about. We know you have the party. What else do you want to talk about? We've got a couple possible solutions that we'll share with you. Um, probably going to take I've blocked aside as much as 45 minutes for this meeting. I don't know that we'll use the whole time, but I'd rather have extra time than run out of time. Is that okay? And, and then at the end of this, at the end of our discussion today, can we agree to make a decision on what we all feel is the best path forward? Right. It's a good, it's a good payload. And, and notice one thing I didn't mention last time I should have mentioned is that payload is a questioning process. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue back and forth. And so that's why I had a lot of questions in there when I just said that. And then we're going to, and, we're going to come to this party. We're going to come to this party with a salute, with a possible solution. Might not be the right solution, but we're not going to just come and say, well, sucks for you. <laughs> we're running a week behind. We're not going to do that. Um, we're going to come up with a possible solution. It might be working, might be having some overtime where the client's going to pay for that overtime in a change order. Right. I, it could be a lot of other things. Um, then we go back to example number one to sell them the change order, right? Well, that right, <laughs> right. But again, we're gonna, ask, but we're gonna say we're gonna ask, we're gonna ask them for their ideas first before we share ours. We're gonna always ask them for theirs because sometimes their ideas and what they say actually is completely opposite of what we thought they were gonna say, and now it's not as big an issue as we thought it was. And this is, you know, what folks I tell people all the time. When I get excited on this podcast, I am not acting, okay? This is real <laughs> excitement for me. I'm going, boom, I just wrote down on my pad of paper, bring them into the decision. This is just like mind-shattering stuff for me, folks. I'm going to tell you, bring, because this is the way we always dealt with it. You go into the meeting and you say, guess what? We're not going to be done, but you're going to be able to use the space, Never a conversation about anything other than that. And, and I, I am just overwhelmed. Again, drop the mic, whatever the current thing is, boom. This is amazing to me. So that, that's fantastic, Jeff. Thank you so much. And Jeff, if I can just jump in there. My, you know, um, when I took sailor training, you know, I was kept saying what I thought the scenarios would be in, in a certain situation. And he would always say, when did you become a mind reader? you know, and just to fall back to the process. And I think even if you're uh, conflict adverse, you know, he would also say somebody is really upset. They made a million dollars last year. Everything is about perspective, right? And so you need to go through the process of the payload or whatever, you're, you know, 
phrasing this to the homeowner in a way that you'll let it happen naturally. You know, you get the questions out there. So this is amazing stuff. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Well, I think right, anything and, else and on the and schedule, Jim uh, and, and Steve, no mind reading is one of the Sandler rules, right? Yeah. Is you've got to avoid reading the mind. You can't put your thoughts into the client's mind, always get theirs. And that's why it's about asking good, effective questions. And is that that's also fantastic. the seagull? Is that don't paint seagulls? Uh, don't paint seagulls in the picture. We'll have to, when we do the, when we, when, we, when I come Part back, three. we'll tell that story. For <laughs> okay. All right. So number three example. So um, one of the things that, again, this has come up with change orders in my world, and maybe you can bring some other context to it. And that is that when a client says, hey, you know, can we add a bay window over here? And I, you know, and I might, in my previous example, I would have said, you don't want a bay window. They're nasty and they're hard and they always leak, right? Yeah. But the other scenario is, sure, no problem. Or, oh, that's easy. Or, you know what? We do that all the time. And we think we're doing a good thing. What would, what would you say about that, Jeff? So no problem are the, I, I know you're trying to, you're trying to eliminate it is what it is from the vocabulary. Right, <laughs> I right. can eliminate one phrase from production teams vocabulary. It would be no problem. Okay. Uh, Why? Why is that such a no big problem? Deal? Almost always ends up costing the company money <laughs> um, and, and almost incurs extra, always incurs extra work. That's not always paid for or fully paid for, for the production team. And, and, and I'll give you a, a, a I'll give you a real life example. When we redid our kitchen, I wasn't there for the end of the process. Right. And, and I was really excited because when I left on a business trip, the cabinets were in, but the granite wasn't in yet. Right. And, and the floors were in, but they were covered. Right. So I was really excited to come home and see everything. And I was coming home the last day of, that they were finishing up. They were supposed to, they were told us they were going to be done by noon or one. My plane was supposed to be there about, about noon. And I, and I, my plane got delayed. I didn't get home till four 30. When I got home at four 30, there were two production guys hanging pictures in the family room, which is two rooms away from the kitchen. <laughs> because my wife said, well, would you guys be willing to help me hang a few pictures? <laughs> and you know what they said? No problem. No problem. <laughs> now, two of them worked an extra three and a half, four hours. That's almost a full day's worth of labor that they didn't get paid. That Well, the co they got paid for Right. But the company didn't get paid for it. Right. Right. And it's these little things. And I'm not saying that we charge people for every tiny little thing. Right. If they need if they need a light plate switched out, that's going to take you two minutes. Fine. OK, but we've got to be very careful what we say no problem to. So what's the answer when when the one of the people in the home says, hey, can you take care of this while you're here? What's the what's the, the right answer for a production person? So the right answer, the right answer for production people is, well, it, it is, let, you know, if it's a production person, not the production lead, let me talk, let me talk to my production lead is the right answer. Okay. I don't want you to put, I don't want our production people to be put uh, into the position of having to say, no, that's not their job. It's the production lead's job, or the production developer's job. Right. And okay. then the production developer shared the discussion about how, Hey, listen, this is not part of our scope. Right. Right. 
And then it and then it becomes do you, you know if they want to do a change order and my wife really wanted the pictures hung and it was going to take two guys three and a half four hours to do <laughs> then do we is it worth eight hours of pay of right. uh, of is it worth eight hours of labor to us maybe it was I don't know what she would have said right but it, but in the end no problem almost always cost remodelers money. And I think we want to be careful with that. Even when we say, oh, yeah, we do that all the time. It's easy. Then when we make that statement alone it, in the what the client hears. Right. Here's what the client hears is, oh, that's going to be easy. It's cheap. Correct. Right. And it's not always cheap. Correct. And so we want to be, oh, yes, we can do that. Let me get you in touch with our production lead. Right? Right. Our, our PD and, and, and have that discussion. I think that's where this becomes really important that we are careful. We have to be careful with our words. Okay. So let me paint this picture for you. Now, all the production people out there are going to go. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've run into this one before something comes up, the client and the lead carpenter project manager are talking and the client says very emphatically, the salesperson promised me that this would be in the job. They promised me a bookcase over here. They promised me the trash compactor. They promised me um, whatever it might be. And the production person, the lead carpenter project manager knows it's not in the scope, but the client is so emphatic that the salesperson promised. How does the lead carpenter project manager work that through with the client so that they get to the yes that we what that we want to hear yeah so great question the first thing we're going to do is we're going to soften it by saying i'm really sorry to hear that because we are sorry right that's not being disingenuous we're sorry that they're feeling or, that way or we should be anyway or we should be right <laughs> And if we're not, then we need, maybe need to check our empathy level a little bit. Right. Um, but, 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 and then we're going to say, and we're going to, we're going to ask a question where, well, when you reviewed this during design, why didn't it come up then? Right. And, and because they re listen, these folks are used to signing agreements. They signed an agreement when they bought their home. Right. They signed it. They, they, they signed a deed. They signed a loan. You know, they, they signed a, you know, uh, they signed a document to say they signed the document. Yeah. And then they signed a design agreement. Then they signed a final design. Right. And then they signed a construction agreement. Why is this just coming up now? So what I'll say is it's really interesting. You know, Sandler has a rule that says, prospects almost always lie right and i i i it's a strong word and i don't want to say right. that right but i will say that people remember things differently right and, and i'm not saying they're lying they oftentimes really remember it that way okay right. and, and and i think at that point it's incumbent on us to understand why it's coming up now by asking that question why didn't it come up in the design review in the final design review Right. And then we've got to go back and get our designer and our salesperson involved. I don't want the production guy making this decision alone. It's right. not fair to him or her to do that. And 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 sometimes we're going to find out it was just a misunderstanding. And 
and it was never promised to them. And now they're going to do a change order for it. Awesome. Great. Or, oh yeah, we, they, they eliminated that and they just have forgotten that they eliminated it because of cost. Right. And, and, and it's not that they were trying to get anything for free. I hope. I, it, it's just that they had forgotten they eliminated it. And sometimes that's our design group's fault because when they eliminated it, they didn't call it out separately in an email. It was in a conversation and there was no documentation that it was eliminated. So I'm just sitting here thinking, Jeff, that, and I'm going to ask this question with a purpose. Uh, when you do sales training, do you literally do role-playing? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. And so let me ask you this, and you can just say it louder if you want to. Do you recommend that business owners and their staff do role-playing for some of these scenarios? In other words, so that, because if I'm caught off guard, I don't always think as smart as I do on a podcast, you know? It, 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 it's, and I'm, I'm just thinking that the only way a salesperson really knows how to answer an objection or to soften or to, you know, like how many questions should I ask is they practice. Yeah. And yet quite often our frontline people in production never practice. We just expect them to be brilliant when the Smiths ask this question. So, yeah. so are you That's recommending that? It's a great question, Tim. And my answer is yes, they should, they should be role-playing. We should never expect somebody to do something that we haven't had them do before. Matter of fact, so my neighbor, three streets over, uh, was the long snapper, so he was not highly paid, on the San Francisco 49ers 1981 Super Bowl winning team. Wow. All right. And so we were over at his house one day, and he showed me the playbook from the Super Bowl. The first thing on the first practice schedule, was form a huddle <laughs> for Super Bowl week was was the first thing they practiced was how to form a huddle. Now, most of these guys have been forming a huddle since they were kids. Right. Right. And they had formed a huddle all 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 training camp, all preseason, all 16 weeks of the regular season, all all three weeks of the playoffs. And now they're in the Super Bowl. And Bill Walsh has the first thing they did Super Bowl week was practice how to form a huddle. Because he believed that if you can't do that, then the rest of it doesn't matter. Right. Right. And so we have to practice, practice, practice. Peyton Manning over the weekend, uh, this last weekend, had his Hall of Fame induction ceremony, right? Yep. A yep. And, and everybody's always wanted to know what Omaha meant, right? <laughs> and I don't know if you listened to his talk, but he finally said what Omaha meant. It meant a lot of different things depending when he called it and what the situation was. But the players on the field knew it because they role-played it and practiced it all week leading up to the game. Right. And Omaha didn't mean the same thing in week one that it meant in week two. No. And, and that was done through very good, effective practice. And, and so role-playing is just practice like an NFL team would do. Yeah. So I was thinking, I, I, again, in another context, I've been telling production people, you should have like 15 different questions to ask, like, like how's, how's a client really doing? How are they emotionally feeling? What's their experience like? You should have a playbook of 15 different questions that you ask them on sort of a rotating basis, ad hoc, follow-ups, things like that. Because unless you do, 
you won't ask it right. You won't get the answers that, that you really want. And so what I'm hearing from you right now is that all these different scenarios that we're talking about, we should have a playbook of questions, of answers, of pauses, if you will, because I know sometimes, you know, I like to hear myself talk sometimes. And so I'll get myself in trouble by talking too much. And I, I give the client an answer that isn't appropriate by just the way I talk. I should just shut up and listen. So that maybe some pauses are appropriate, but, but I, that, I guess that, that, yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that point. Cause I, I heard you say that. And I just wanted to make it really clear to everybody is that we should be practicing these things with our project managers and our lead carpenters in order to get the best results from them in terms of selling, if you will, in quotes, unquote. And, and the thing I'll add is, yeah, that's really important, Tim. And, and, and they should, it's great if they have a book of, of, <laughs> of, of scenarios and they should, and they should develop the, their answer to that. Right. And it, and by the way, I don't want anybody, when we say that, I don't want anybody to script anybody else. Right. I want you to, Make sure they cover these points, but let them use their own words because they'll never get it if they don't use their own words. Right. And that's why when people take Sandler training, we don't script them. And Steve will tell you, we give you concepts, but we don't tell you what to say verbatim this word for this word for this word. We don't do that. And the other thing is to remember when you're talking with clients, you should only be talking 30% of the time. They should be talking 70% of the time. Wow. Otherwise, that's where we get into trouble is when we use too many words. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've I've had that problem over the years where uh not so much now because I get paid to talk a lot now, but anyway, it's uh it's definite. Okay, we're going to we're going to wind this up with one last uh example and I'm going to start this off just talking like warranty work and I I know from my own experience and from most everybody's production experience that I'm familiar with is we're going to say, "Okay, Bill, Let's say, Tim, all right, Tim, we're sending you out to the Smiths to take care of that uh, caulking problem we had in the bathroom or, or whatever. Now, typically, my mindset is a tube of caulk, a caulk gun, a razor knife, get in, head down, get it done, and get out before they can ask me to get to do anything else because... <laughs> Because I know these people, these people are going to have a list of 10 things. And I even hope they're not home. So I can just go in and get it done and not have to deal with the people. So from your perspective, Jeff, what should my attitude be <laughs> for so, that warranty call? So that's more of that head trash we talked about earlier, right? Okay. And, and, and so warranty work remodelers should be embracing the warranty work because sometimes warranty work will lead to more work in the house that is paid work. Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, Tim, I think I'm, I may, I can't remember if it was you or Steve, I was talking to, and I told them the story about our master bathroom. When we, when, when my wife, the, uh, the threshold in the shower stall was, leaking water. So my wife called the contractor out. They came out and the con and the contractor Sandler trained. I'll be fully forthright and honest. Uh, the, the guy, the production guy came out and he came out with a two, we came out with some silicone and a caulk and a, uh, and a replacement threshold. 
right? And as he was talking to my wife, he did a good palo. He said, why? Hey, we're, I'm here to look at the shower. And then he asked her the question, while I'm here, is there anything else you want me to look at? And Molly at first said no. Then they <laughs> fixed the shower. And he said, are you sure there's nothing, there's no other, nothing else about the house that you're looking to change or, um, or that you'd want us to look at uh, helping you with? And so one of the wonderful things about remodeling is you are the only ones who get the permission to make the rest of the house look ugly. Um, Cause once you fix the master bathroom, remodel it. Now the hall bathroom looks like trash, right? And every time they walk down the hall, they think, Oh my God, the master bath's so much nicer. And, 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 and so, and so the, he asked that question and Molly said to him, yeah, we, really like to look at the master bath. And that's how we wound up doing our master bath. It was, <laughs> it was off of a warranty call. I wasn't here. Molly made this decision that she wanted to do it. And it led to us redoing the master bath or the, the hallway bathroom off of a warranty job. And that happens all the time. Sometimes if you have a, if you're a remodeler who has a small jobs division, your everybody, everyone in your small jobs division should be trained on a good palo on how to ask these questions because it can lead to more work for your small jobs division. It can lead more to more work for the big jobs too. I mean, whether it's some, a remodeler told me a story of going out to replace, to uh, replace a couple boards on a deck, an outdoor deck. And the remodeler told me that uh, when he got out there, he looked at the deck and he told him, so listen, I'm not going to be able to replace those boards because I'm not even willing to walk onto your deck. It doesn't look structurally sound <laughs> to get to the place where the boards are loose for me to measure them. The only way I could ever do this would be to quote a brand new deck. Well, that deck, so they two replacing two boards on a deck turned into a brand new deck, which turned into a screened in deck, which then eventually led to a uh, kitchen and bathroom remodel. Right. Right. And so- just being willing to have this conversation, not being afraid of it is really, really, really important. And I want, I want the production people to know, remember, anytime you're in front of a client, you are the company. And anything you say or do will reflect on the company. And so you always want to make sure that you're putting out the, the impression. And I'd like you to think of it as your company. If, if Tim's out on a, a, a warranty call, he should be thinking of it as the Tim Fowler Construction Company, uh, because ultimately you are the brand every time you interact with the client. And I think it's really, if we start with that mindset, it helps avoid the, well, I'm just going to get a tube of clock and get the heck out of there as fast as I can. <laughs> and then yeah, but I mean, again, it, it involves, you know, learning those questions and, and being uh, confident enough to ask the questions and not being afraid uh, of that. So it's the playbook. So I was just sitting here thinking that maybe what we've said today and, and Jeff, you know, we're going to wind down so you can give us that, that last little bit, but what the way I'm looking at it is ask a lot of questions, listen, you know, you know that 30, 70 thing, you're listening 70% of the time, talking 30% of the time, and then find your own words. Those are kind of the three things that encapsulate what we're talking about here with all of these situations. They're all the same. You start by asking a lot of questions, find out why the client, what the client really wants, bring them into the decision, and then, you know, find your own words for that. Is that kind of, is that a good synopsis, Jeff? 
That's a great synopsis. And, and by the way, just not to scare anybody, but that's sales. And that's, this, that's oh, no. the Sandler sales process. And I know it, <laughs> I'm using that bad word again. Um, I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> I, I, you don't have to be a salesperson. Listen, everybody sells something. If you're negotiating with your spouse, significant other, uh, kids, whatever, to go what movie you're going to go see this weekend, you're, you're selling your movie over theirs. Right. Otherwise, you're going to wind up seeing Peter Rabbit every time you go out with your kids. Uh, and, and that would be horrible. And so, and, and, and so we want to. So we all we're always selling something. And, and and sales is not a bad thing. All it is, as I've said all along, is a communication process. Sales is about communicating effectively with other human beings. And it should be something we do naturally. And I will tell you, the, my last nugget that I'll sign off with is, you know, my dad told, told me growing up that he had two ears, one mouth, you should use them in that proportion. And that's what I love about Sandler. 3070 is roughly, is roughly two ears, one mouth, use them in that proportion. Right. Right. And right. so you should be, you should only be talking a maximum of 30% of the time. And your client, your homeowner should be talking 70% of the time that by the way, and I want and here's really the last thing. The per, think of this in any conversation, the person in control of the conversation is the one asking the questions. The person who is not in control is the one answering the questions. They talk more, but the person asking the questions who talks less is actually in control. Wow. I got to write that one down too. So thank yeah. you so much, Jeff. This has been absolutely incredible and uh, be thinking uh, about, another episode down the road if you would absolutely write some notes down and we'll we'd love to have you back just trying to help the production world uh do a better job of communicating i think is a, a big goal of ours and and i surely appreciate uh you taking out the time today and last week to be with us and share such great information Thanks for having me on. I'd love to come back and, and, and delve more into some other subjects. That, that would be a lot of fun. And just give us your email uh, just in case anybody wants to get in touch with you about uh, some training for their company. Sure. It's jeff.borovitz, B as in boy, O-R-O, V as in Victor, I-T, Z as in zebra, at sandler.com. Uh, and you could also find me on the RA uh RA site. Uh, we have a sales edge class we teach. We teach increased profitability through better client management. That's for designers and production people. And, and we have a management leadership class that we teach all through RA that uh, you can go right through our right through uh, our, the RA people to book. And, that, and that's how we interact with most of our remodelers. It's awesome. fantastic. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Take, Take care. care. You too. So Tim, we had a lot again this time. What, what do you, uh, man? I'm trying to unpack what I got here on my list. <laughs> well, let me let me just jump in here. I got all excited about it in the in the middle of the podcast, but I really did love this idea of when there's a problem or challenge or a difficulty, don't always go in there with the answer. This is how we're going to solve this problem. Go in there asking the questions. Asking for the client's feedback on how they, if they have some ideas, they might say, no, we're, we, we're really relying on you, but ask. And, and then, of course, I think you should have some solutions as well. You don't want to go in there blind, but 
this whole thing about getting them engaged in the decision is just a gold mine to me. And I, I, I wish I'd thought about it 30 years ago. Um, and just the whole idea of just getting a playbook. And when I said playbook during the, the podcast, I didn't mean necessarily have it written down, but maybe it's a good idea, but at least have a repertoire of questions and that framework would, would fit with different situations that you walk into. And then I, and then I guess the other thing for me is get busy using some of these production meetings. You know, sometimes production meetings are a total drag. It's like they're people are bored. We're going over the same garbage we went over before spice it up, do a little role playing, have somebody be the client, have somebody be the lead carpenter and present a scenario that they have to work through. And then like practice these things. I love that example of the, the 49ers. It's just so clear that companies that succeed practice. Yeah. No, I mean, you said it all. It's been, uh, I think everything that was discussed today is perfect for the production world, you know, as we're kind of that effective communication goes a long way. And we want to thank Jeff Borovitz for joining us. We always want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Tim Fowler show. And remember at the Tim Fowler show, we're working really, really, really hard to eliminate. It is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of the Tim Fowler show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.